On April 19th, 2019, a truck driver sent a text message to his boss, Demir Shishich. He had less than two hours left before he had to go off duty by law, but he wanted to keep driving. Please don't forget to fix my logs, the driver wrote. So Shishich, who owned the trucking company, took care of it. He altered the driver's electronic log, something he did thousands of times for his drivers. He gave him five more hours. Hopefully it's enough, Shishich texted back. The driver would soon be dead. From Freight Waves, this is Long Haul Crime Log, a podcast about the dark side of freight. I'm Nate Tabak in Toronto, Canada. I'm Clarissa Hawes in Kansas City, Missouri. We're reporters who cover the trucking industry. Today on the show, we dig into electronic log fraud, why truckers and trucking companies do it, and what happens when they get caught, which is what happened to Demir Shishich. But first, Clarissa, for those who don't know the trucking industry, what exactly is an electronic log or e-log, and why is it so important for drivers and their employers? By law, they can drive up to 11 hours in a 14-hour period. These devices that capture these logs are called ELDs. Sishit's company, STS, used a predecessor to ELDs called AOBRDs. The federal agency that regulates the trucking industry began requiring most truckers to to use them in 2017, but the full mandate wasn't in place until late 2019. And so Clarissa, like ELDs replaced traditional paper logs. And one of the reasons that this was done is to make it much harder for these records to be altered. Yes. Um, some um, old school truck drivers um, you know, used to brag about having um, two logs, you know, one to show the DOT and and the their actual log, and, um, and so they called it the outlaw or renegade days, where they could drive when when they weren't tired, and then park, you know, when they did get tired. But e logs kind of limited the time frame that they could drive legally. And the and the reason this is this is real this is important from like from a driver's perspective is because. The vast majority of uh, commercial truck drivers are still paid by the mile. And so the result of that, of course, is that you want to be able to pack in as many miles as you can in a short period of time. Truck drivers used to be able to drive until they were tired and then were able to find a, a place to park where now, um, you know, after their 11 hours are up, you know, they have to find a truck stop to pull in or to stop for the night. And, you know, that definitely had an impact on, on their ability to accumulate more miles and which, you know, hurt the bottom line for many truck drivers who had been doing this for a long time. And and it's one of those things that it's this, this, I think it's a law, a, I think there's always been this balancing act between, you know, earning a living versus, you know, this, this, a lot of this boils down to, to safety because there is, you know, there is a demonstrated relationship between, uh, between fatigue and, and accidents. And, but at the same time that you, you know, I, truck drivers, I know who have been at it for a while, you know, that they have a, themselves may have a long safety record. And a lot, I think a lot of drivers do have that ability to kind of, know their know their own limits and know what's good for them but you also have plenty of others who you know uh maybe don't uh i don't know god i'm sort of rambling um 
But on the other side that you have, you have serious, ser- very serious safety issues that if you have a, a driver who hasn't uh, hasn't slept in three days and is uh, maybe taking no-dos or something worse, you know, it, it poses safety issues. And so there's, all, there's always been this kind of inherent conflict, I think, ever since you know, the hours of service became something that was regulated, right? Since the late 80s and... Um... And were first like the AOBRDs were used by the mega carriers because of they had so many safety problems, you know, due to the fact that they had so many trucks on the road, and that there were several attempts to um, to reform hours of service over the years, but that you know those attempts were squashed until. Until like I think the final rule was in 2015, and um, you know that that to set a date for when ELDs were going to um, take effect, and even attempts there were you know there were attempts by associations to squash that as well, but um, in the end um, FMCSA prevailed and with the new rules. And so the, the a, AOBRD is that they, they are le- less sophisticated from, from, e, from uh, ELDs and it was easier to, to alter the records of, of them. Is that right? Right. Um, AOBRDs weren't required to be connected to the engine of the truck, whereas um, the ELDs must be connected and so that's why some carriers um, chose to stay with EOBRDs even after the ELD rule was because they could go back and um, edit the drive time, and that that the a that using an ELD system it would have been able to track the time that the truck started and to and 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 track where it stopped. And so in, in certain respects that the, the AOBRDs made it possible in some ways to, to um, doctor logs on a much larger scale um, in certain cases. Yes. And while it wasn't, um, it wasn't supposed to be where drivers could edit their logs, it definitely allowed for the owner or the driver manager to, you know, in some cases where something happened and it, uh, and you know, it wasn't able to pick up the connection due to, um, you know, like a connection error that that the managers were supposed to be able to go in and and fix the time legally. Um, But then it was kind of used for nefarious purposes by some carriers that wanted to run longer hours and um, and make more miles. ELD mandate in place with these more sophisticated devices that you you would think that this would at least kind of eliminate this ability to doctor logs. At least I think that was how it was envisioned. Is it, has that been the case? Some carriers have been able to skirt the regulations for whatever reason and um, are able to, to disconnect the devices and um, then, you know, reconnect them at a certain point, and it doesn't show a malfunction code for some reason. And that's what there's been, a, you know, several cases where that's happened. And, you know, it, it definitely investigators are looking into why, you know, some companies 
are allowed to do that. And, and if there's some kind of fault with the ELD device that allows this manipulation of hours to occur. And what, what is actually required of someone to do to manipulate these hours in these in in ELDs? Does it require a lot of technical sophistication? Yes, and um, it, in the ELDs, it's where it's supposed to be where drivers aren't able to d- disconnect um, the devices from their from their engines because that would uh, immediately send a fault code. And that if you were pulled over by a roadside inspector, it would be able to, and they looked at your logs, they would able be able to see that you had disconnected your device along your journey and, um, you know, immediately find that issue. But in some cases, um, some, some companies didn't transition over to the ELD devices when they should and continued on using the AOBRDs and we're just hoping not to get caught. And so, so, so you have cases where they, they've been a companies, despite this requirement to transition off of the AOBRDs, they're, they're sort of able, they're able to pretend that they have ELDs in a sense. Right. Yeah. They're using an app, you know, some of these companies are, you know, app based um, devices and so that's how they're able to, um, from what we gather, are able to, to you know, kind of falsify the logs and go back in and and change. So how is it that the, these instances of ELD and AOBRD, this 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 e log fraud? How is it that they're being exposed in the first place? Well, in several cases, there's been a fatal crash involved with a driver for one of these carriers either whether they've hit um, another, you know, hit someone and, and, and the driver survived or in some cases where the drivers have died. And so then in, when looking at their logbooks, they're finding discrepancies in the amount of time that these drivers should have been allowed to drive versus their actual time that they are. And they're finding that, their logs have been falsified. And so they're driving longer hours. Some of them are fatigued and, um, and shouldn't be on the road, which is what FMCSA was trying to prevent um, is for these tired drivers to be forced to continue on yeah, the road. And I think that's the, that's the, the other side of this is that, yes, you do have drivers who themselves are interested to, to keep on pushing to earn more money, but you also have situations where maybe a driver is compelled to work longer than they want to work for. And in some, in some cases, it's the carriers that have promised a, a, a certain time that the load will be delivered and, and are willing to compromise a driver's safety because it's a good paying load. And so they're willing to, um, add hours to a driver's log or edit their log. And, and in some, and in some cases it, you know, there have been fatal crashes involved. And the, and in this case that we were talking about at the beginning um, in uh, involving this carrier STS, um, there was a, 
this was exposed uh, after a, a fatal crash. And it is important to keep in mind with, with that incident that the driver fatigue was not cited as a factor in this. And that apparently there was an underlying health condition. But the fact that this is kind of an area of focus, I, th- I think it does show that even if from a legal standpoint, you not, may not be able to say uh, driver fatigue um, that was maybe enabled by the falsification of, of logs may not be the direct cause and effect. It seems like that it's still something that's potentially concerning. And a lot of drivers have reported like health issues since the mandate because they're under a clock where they can't just rest when they're tired and start driving again as they could in the old days where um, they that clock is is running. And so they have to make sure that they, um, you know, take full advantage of the 11 hours that they have. And, you know, in some cases, that means driving in rush hour traffic when normally they would hang back and wait, you know, for a time to, um, you know, for rush hour to, you know, to pass and then get on the road. But, you know, after they're 10 hours off the clock, then they have to start running again. And um, so that's what they're finding is that is leading to a lot of health situations and um, with stress and, and just with all the traffic and, you know, that they are surrounded so why, with on the road. Like, why is it even po- possible in the first that at this day and age with, with this ELD mandate in place, that there was a lot of time and effort in, in putting this, crafting these regulations, technology available. Why is it that it's even possible for someone to alter these logs? And, and that's what um, is kind of at the basis of the issue is that, um, that ELD vendors were allowed to self-certify their devices And, you know, so as it was explained to me by, you know, federal investigators is that, you know, FMCSA had these had a list of um, technical requirements that these manufacturers had to meet. But that, you know, it's just like like you and me reading the document, you know, we may have a different take on on how that how how those technical requirements read. And so we may. you know, develop our devices based on our own, um, you know, read of the requirements. And, um, but that there's no system that, uh, like a a third party system in place that is testing these devices, you know, independently, we're just counting on the FMCSA is counting on these vendors or these providers to ensure that they're devices meet the requirements. So in some cases they're finding that that maybe there's some glitches or ways to work around the system. And there are, and there are like hundreds of, of devices that have been approved for u- use in the, in the U.S. And it's interesting that this actually is that Canada has, has taken a slower approach to a, a, a requiring ELDs and it's going to be there the, the Canada's uh, ELD mandate is coming into force, you know, later this year. One of the reasons that the that this has been a slower sort of journey for Canada is that they've they've taken a somewhat different approach. And one of the the main differences is that they have decided that any ELD that is that can be used in Canada 
has to go through a third party certification process. And as having reported on this, I, when the kind of the ELD rule was was released in Canada initially, there was like the chatter was we want to make sure that it's not possible for uh, for people to commit fraud in the you know in the logs. I remember when talking to people in the industry here in Canada about the ELD mandate, and you know that there was like all this this kind of fixation on this uh, the sort of third party certification, and I, and I remember asking, well, you know, I I understand like that is this really is this really a problem? And you know, and they'd say, well, yeah, no, we hear we hear all these stories, and I was like, well, can you hear any? You have any specifics, like? What is this? Because, you know, I think, you know, when you just talk to people in the industry, there's sometimes a lot of chatter, there's rumors and stuff. And but actually, you're you're looking into a few cases right now involving specifically um, carriers who have messed with ELD devices, right? Yes. And in one case, it's where it's a recent case where the FMCSA put um, issued an imminent hazard order against a Montana owner of two companies and um, that said he has to cease operations immediately. And in his case, he has kind of a hot shotting operation, meaning that he has like heavy duty pickups that have, you know, whole uh, that have auto trailers and he did have two semis, but he felt like he fell under a different category, like a drive away, tow away type um, system under the regs where he didn't need a DOT number and he didn't have to follow hours of service r- rules. And I talked to um, a CVSA um, representative who said that in some cases, um, these hot shotting operations don't have to have an ELD in their truck, but they have to track, manually track their logs and their hours on the road and um, and also have to have a DOT number. And in this company's case, they had, they had not, they didn't track hours of service even through paper logs and that they didn't have DOT numbers until two weeks ago, for some reason, when the order was being, you know, issued against so the how carrier. Is, right now, how is it that, that like a, a trucking company or an owner operator, like how is it, that right now, uh, da, da, da. so how is it that that these these hours of service uh, rules? How are they even enforced in, in the first place? Like, is there you know who who is actually checking on these uh, these ELD logs? And typically, these carriers are found out through roadside inspections, where um, you know they're pulled in, and um, you know a, a law enforcement a, C, a commercial law enforcement inspector. Um, you know, reviews their logs and and finds uh, discrepancies in the data. And that's typically, and then kind of from then on, sometimes it, it calls for, you know, a more in-depth inspection where they want to review all of the carrier's logs because sometimes there's severe violations where these companies are put out of service until um, until they can either prove that they have working devices or remedy the issue. And so, um, you know, in some cases they've called for more in-depth 
reviews of some of these carriers and have found widespread falsification of logs. What typically happens if a driver exceeds their hours of service with a with a functioning ELD device in place in their truck? They can either be they could be placed out of service or and ticketed and fined their company fined. Um, and then it's up to the company to remedy the problem. What is actually, so you, you go, like, if you're still going, like what, what are the things, what's the chain of events that actually happens when, if you're just like, you're, you're just still running your truck and you're past your hours. Um, in some cases you're put out of service and um, until you can prove that your ELD device is working and tracking the number of hours and, and to ensure that it is connected to the engine um, like it's supposed to be. Do you have any sense of maybe how of how widespread, you know, ELD uh, fraud may be? You know, there's always rumors and where people name companies and, you know, that that typically skirt these hours of service. But um, it typically um, comes down to a crash where in where um, the the logs are examined and that FMCSA inspectors, you know, come in and do an audit of the carrier or if they've had multiple violation hours of service violations that they come in and where it flags a basic, you know, that they're over, you know, the, the a certain average of hours of service violations that they come in and, and look at the books and, in some cases, you know, some were able, like in the case of STS, um, they were, even after one of their drivers um, died in a one vehicle crash, um, it they the owner of this company, you know, continued to falsify the logs a year after his death. And other drivers for that company had been reporting or, you know, like... The, they had the investigators had downloaded text messages off of the owner's phone between these drivers who were saying, Hey, you know, I, I'm out of hours. I'm exhausted. I hope this load is worth it, you know, is paying a lot. And, and, you know, cases like that, because so kind of in those cases, they fear of of losing their jobs if, if they don't continue to drive. What ended up happening to Shishich and uh, STS? He was actually given what others consider a light sentence, where he was sentenced to three years of probation and six months of of home confinement, and um, and that he is not supposed to be involved in the operation of a motor vehicle of a trucking company during the time and. And he he faced a minimum fine to This is a federal crime, a U.S. federal crime. This is, it is still a serious thing to have to happen to someone that doctoring these logs. It's not small potatoes necessarily. Right. I know that the NTSB, you know, has recommended you know more oversight by the FMCSA, you know, to add a layer of oversight in some cases involving ELDs and, and the potential for fraud. And, and some of these newer companies like 
like the STS company that um, had had you know was incorporated in 2016, but and but ramped up operations e- even in the new entrant program, and and so they're calling for that that there needs to be more of a watch on these carriers and to track hey that they're they're racking up a series of of out of service violations and that they may need to be further looked at before, you know, becoming, you know, in, uh, graduating from the new entrant program. And so, I mean, you, you had mentioned that the, that the owner of STS that got what maybe was seemed like a, a relatively light sentence for this really, it's, it's kind of a massive scale of electronic log fraud. He's not allowed to be, to own a trucking company again. So that, that's, that is one consequence, right? Right. While he is on, um, you know, serving his sentence. In June 2019, after the owner of STS um, closed abruptly closed his operation, his brother Omir um, started another trucking company called called Bosna Express. And um, and and so while he is not involved in the, he's not mentioned as an owner of the company. Um, I called the his the company prior to uh, in our podcast, and he was on the call. and And the number, the main number for the his STS Transport and this new Bosna Express are the same number. Although you know he definitely he said that any allegations that he was uh, that he owned this company were false. But he was there to it. He he was he was on the other end of, of the phone, though. <laughs> yes, he was, and hung up on me um, soon after he made his statement. When you when you sort of look look at the the bigger picture of this, and 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 it, I think to to some degree, there's always going to be people who look for loopholes and ways to game the system and and commit fraud. But I, I'm wondering, is there do you, are there some, you know, maybe bigger issues that are maybe behind why there there are people that do what is potentially it's potentially dangerous and also you find it also financially risky to do this kind of fraud? Like what what do you think is behind what do you think is actually behind this happening in the first place? I think it's the lure of more money. Um, you know, drug drivers want the miles and they want they want a job. And, you know, in some cases that when they hire on, they, they're not aware that the company want plans to push them as hard as they can. And, or that freight has been promised to be delivered at, you know, and they're getting, and the company's being paid well to ensure that it, um, it makes it there at a certain date. And so that's kind of the lure of, truck drivers needing a job, wanting miles, and the carrier's incentive is that there's going to be a big payday for this load. And and so, you know, there's, they have promised a certain date, so they push their drivers, um, you know, past their legal hours of driving time to make sure that it's delivered on time. Or sometimes there's a penalty um, and they won't get the full amount. 
this also is a maybe as a reminder of one of the one of the the more um, I think curious things about about the trucking industry in North America is that that most of it still operates on this mileage system, which from kind of an economic standpoint often doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know at least anecdotally, I, I'm aware of some carriers that have shifted over to paying their drivers an hourly rate, and they've also changed how they've uh, how they you know pricing uh, freight for shippers. I know a few that actually report that they're they operate more efficiently. Their drivers are getting paid more, and that their business is doing better um, because it just provides a more overall visibility. And it's just it's kind of interesting that you have this huge sort of section of the economy that operates in a way that. It fe- it's almost kind of antiquated. You know, there's a, there's been many drivers that want, you know, to move to an hourly system where they're paid, you know, a certain wage. But that a lot of the larger carriers said say that they that it wouldn't be feasible for them, economically feasible for them, and um, they would lose money if they went to that type of system. Well, I definitely know drivers where they really like the the mileage system. Uh, as well, like it's it's a very it's kind of a polar. I think it's a little bit polarizing because I think there's some drivers that they just they they kind of feel like they have this kind of have it figured out and how it, it works for them to do it this way. So it's a really it's 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 an interesting issue. I agree. Yes, and I I wonder. You know, I'm curious as well. Is you know if some of these ELD vendors um, that kind of have been put on notice. Um, by federal agencies, if if they will are, plan to change um, their systems, or what will happen when they try to certify their devices in Canada, you know, if there will be, you know, and in that in when that happens, if you, some providers or vendors have eight or nine devices, and all of them have to go through this third party testing, and if they want to operate in Canada, so I wonder if there will be red flags based on, you know, the self-certification process in the U.S. versus the third-party testing in Canada. But so far, um, I talked to CVSA that no no U.S. vendors have applied for third-party testing in Canada. Even with, you know, third-party certification, I do wonder is it really going to ever be possible to create an ELD device that someone can't mess around with? Cause it just seems like there's always, you know, in this day and age, there's always a talented uh, person, uh, maybe a hacker of some kind or someone who just is with technical know-how that is going to find a way in, in, into something and how to, to mess around with it. I agree. Um, definitely people are motivated by money, you know, to be creative when it comes to um, hacking into any system or device. You've been listening to Long Haul Crime Log from Freight Waves. You can find more episodes by searching for Long Haul Crime Log wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like us, why not subscribe? And maybe tell your friends. And maybe your enemies as well. You know, they, you can maybe bond over your shared uh, shared interest in true crime in the trucking industry. We're also on Twitter now. Our handle is Long Haul Crime. Any truckers out there that have a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. 
our email address is crime at freightwaves.com. And a special shout out to the, uh, the port truckers of uh, New York and New Jersey. Uh, it seems we have some fans there. So, and we'd love to hear from you guys. If you've got any, uh, any stories you want to share. Tune in next week for more stories from the dark side of freight.